If you're here today and you've not been saved, I want you to know that you can touch Jesus today. And the reason you can is because Jesus Christ makes himself available to us. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, in a crowd this size, there's generally always someone in need of being saved by the amazing grace of God. I need your prayers today. Uh, Brother Donald just came in and there's uh, 22 uh, out uh, beyond the sanctuary today in the parking lot in the fellowship hall. So we have wonderful attendance today, even under uh, the adverse conditions that we have. And I'm thankful for everyone's presence. And I pray that every one of you will be touched by the Lord today. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. Before I begin reading my lesson, uh, I sent a text message to Teresa Carter. Teresa uh, has been providing uh, different decorations, flowers for our communion table, the, uh, the credenza out in the vestibule and various places. And uh, I appreciate her doing that. Uh, she really has done uh, a wonderful job uh, providing for that. Just love the decorations. And, uh, but I texted her, her and told her that I have a picture that I wanted to use today for the communion table. And the picture that you see here, if you're sitting out to the, to the end, the side of the church, you may not be able to see this image very well from where you are. If you came in the front doors, you saw. This is a picture. Back when we built our uh, Christian Life Center in our Sunday school wing, Donald and Kathy Parrish uh, purchased some artwork to decorate that long hallway. And this is one of the pictures uh, that was purchased for that reason and is one of my favorites. When I read the gospel, um, I see this image of Jesus Christ. God's only begotten son walking in this field with young children. And um, I'd, I'd just like for you to bear that image in mind today as I read my lesson and bring this message to you today. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1 begins this way, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. 
But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And I want to skip down and read verse number 10 in closing my reading, where Jesus said, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. That's reading to the end of the 10th verse. I'm going to take my title from three verses of Scripture found in the New Testament. One in Galatians 4.19, one in 1 John 2 and 1, and the third, 1 John 3 and verse 8. And in those three verses, you find this expression, my little children. My little children is going to be my title today. Now, I'd like to ask you something. What is this book? What is this book? I, I, heard, I heard the Holy Bible from over here. God's message to man. Our guide that we live by. All good answers. The B-I-B-L-E, another good answer. It's a love letter, absolutely. All right. Folks, these are not men's words, are they? These are God's words. They're God's words. They're not the words of men moved by emotional passion. They are God's words spoken through men to us. So in these three verses that I referred to, first in Galatians 4 and 19, the Apostle Paul said, I travail in, or he said, my little children. Paul said, my little children. I travail in birth, in pain, in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now I want you to understand something. Paul is not talking about people being saved a second time. Salvation only happens one time. When you're saved, you are saved forever. You're fixed. The psalmist David said, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed. And I want to say, according to God's word, your heart is fixed forever. Amen. But salvation is not the end all. Salvation is just the beginning. What Paul was talking about when he said, My little children, I travail in pain, in birth, again, that till Christ be formed, desire his burden for the people who were saved is that Christ would fully be formed in them and that they would be conformed, fully conformed to the image of God's Son. That is God's predestinated plan for every last one of us. Amen. But Paul said, my little children, and I remind you again that these are God's words. They're not Paul's words, but they are God's words. My little children. John in 1 John. He said, my little children, if, we, if any man sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I'm thankful that we have an advocate for us. I want to tell you as uh, somebody who's been saved, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I have... I have sinned, I have stumbled, I have fallen, I have failed, but praise the Lord, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The reason that he can be our advocate is because he's been through what you and I have been through. He's been tempted in everything just like we have, yet without sin. And Jesus Christ is our advocate in heaven on our behalf with God the Father. We have an advocate down here who is God's Holy Spirit who leads us, guides us, fills us, empowers us to fight the good fight of faith. But again, John uses this expression, my little children. And finally, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, he said, my little children, let us not love in word only, But let us love in deed and in truth. You know what? Anybody can talk a good game, can't they? Words don't mean much. God wants us to live His Word. Live His truth. But again, three times, my little children... This is God's expression to us, my little children. I love this verse in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You've heard me say this so many times. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Listen, that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. And he goes on to say, beloved, now. Now, right now, present tense, right now, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the children of God. (laughs) I don't know if I should tell this or not, but Harold Webb and Rick Langford, they have kind of this, I don't know, this, this banter that they share. According to each one of them, according to Harold, Rick is the ugliest man in this church. And according to Rick, Harold is the ugliest man in this church. I want you to think about this. This big galoot sitting right here, and this guy with not much hair over here, they are children of God. My little children. And Wanda Smith, one of the meanest people that I know, I told Wanda this morning, I said, boy, I'm glad you're here. Think about it. We who have been saved by the grace of God, God speaks from heaven and and says, my little children. That's what we are. And I want you to understand in John or in Matthew's gospel here, you know, this seemed to be a, a, an ongoing discussion among the disciples. The timing of this lesson. They had just, Peter, James, and John had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ was, 
was gloriously, wonderfully transformed from that human form to something divine that, that made them fall on their faces as dead men. They saw Moses and Elijah. They heard the voice of God speak from heaven. And they were there. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And yes, it is. It's good for us to be on the mountaintop with the Lord. God, help us that we could get there by the grace of God. But folks, I want to tell you, it's necessary that we come down from there in the valley where we live most of the time. I don't know how much time elapsed between that experience and this, this chapter here. That was in verse 17. This is in 18. I don't know how much time chronologically, but on the, on the top of their minds after that is experiences, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? And this conversation these disciples had again and again and again, and God rolls back the curtain so that we can see these apostles as they really were, human beings just like us, full of vanity and pride and ambition. They all wanted to be the greatest in heaven. I was going to say myself included, but there's no point in going there. And even the night, even the night before Jesus died on the cross, these guys are still having the same conversation. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus Christ takes a little child and sets it in the, him in the midst of these 12 men who've been called to preach the gospel, called to, be, to hold one of the greatest positions in the world. And he sets this child in the midst and he said, I tell you, except you be converted and become like this little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, understand here, the Lord did not set a baby in the midst of them. He set a young child in the midst of them. I'm guessing probably old enough to know what it is to be convicted of sin. Old enough to, to, to be able to know that his, his or her soul has been saved. And I want to tell you that age comes really young. Sometimes seven, sometimes eight years old, nine years old. It comes really young. And the Lord sets this child in the midst of these men. And he says, unless you become like this little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he cautions them, whoever causes, whoever uh, does any harm or, or offends one of these little ones. It would be better that a millstone be hanged about his neck and he drowned in the depth of the sea. Folks, I get the impression now that Jesus Christ cares about little children. Amen. Rick, praise the Lord, even big little children. Yeah. Now we're going to go back in, in time here. About 1,400 years to the book of Exodus. Because one of the, the most wonderful, one of the most touching uh, experiences in the Old Testament, in my way of, of thinking, happened there in the book of Exodus, chapter 2. There was a man by the name of Amram who had a wife named Yoshebed. And they had two children already. Their oldest, a daughter, about 14 years of age, named Miriam. The youngest, a son by the name of Aaron, who likely was about four years old when this took place. But they had another child. 
Another child in Exodus chapter 2 says, this child was a goodly child. You know what that means? That word goodly, it means special. Now you tell me, what parent in her or his right mind ever had a child that they didn't think was special? Huh? I have a friend of mine in Toledo, I've told this before, he had a granddaughter, I believe he showed me a picture of this little child. He said, isn't that the prettiest baby you've ever seen in your life? I said, yep. He said, no, I mean it. I said, I, said, I know you mean it. Everybody means it when they have the child and they show pictures of it. It's the most pr- beautiful child you've ever seen in your life. Everybody feels that way. And folks, I want to tell you, this little child that was born was special, all right. But every child that is born is special in the sight of God. So the psalmist said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every last one of us. This child was born under Pharaoh's edict that all male children of the Hebrews be cast into the river. Now, Yoshebed did everything she could for about three months to protect this child. When she saw that, that, that her, uh, her, her plan w- w- was not going to work, that she couldn't hold out forever, I believe God inspired her for a plan of salvation for this little child that she was given. Praise the Lord, folks. God has a plan of salvation for us all. I want to tell you, salvation, when it comes, it it, it comes the exact same way to all of us. It is the same experience. Now, the the, uh, events, the circumstances that lead up to it, it'll be vastly different. But when salvation comes, it is exactly the same. It is peace in the soul. It is peace in the heart. The burden of sin is taken away. And we have marvelous, wonderful peace. And joy fills our heart when we begin to share that wonderful news. I've been saved by the grace of God. But Now, this was an infant child, but God gave Yoshebed a plan of salvation for this little child. And it's amazing to me. You know, the Hebrew writer says that um, Noah moved with fear and prepared a ho- uh, an ark to the saving of his house. And you know that Yoshebed did exactly the same thing? Moved with fear, Yoshebed built an ark. Listen to me now. To the saving of her house. She was just concerned about this special child. But she made this ark and she floated him out in the Nile River. She floated him from her world into the Egyptian world. She trusted this little child to God. And in in Titus uh, uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 11, Paul said, The grace of God that brings salvation appears to all men. And I want to show you here how amazing God's grace is. We know the story here. Moses came back many years later as a deliverer for Israel. And this plan that God gave to Yoshebed, it wasn't just to save this little child, but it was to save that whole house. And God did that. But listen, Yoshebed floated this little child out into the Nile River 
and an Egyptian princess and her a heathen, when she heard this little child cry, her motherly instincts awakened in her and she took that little child in her arms knowing that it was a Hebrew child, knowing that it should die. And she fell in love with it. And God worked it out where this Egyptian princess, scholars say it might have been Seti I, I, I can't verify that. doesn't matter. She was an Egyptian princess. And she hired, hired, paid Moses' mother to nurse that child, to wean that child. That's just how great God's amazing grace is. Amen. You know what? Parents, kids don't come with an instruction manual. They're messy. They're troublesome. They're wearisome. I mean, they really are tedious. God, you can't help but love them. If you're in your right mind, you cannot help but love them. And, and, and Yoshebed was afforded the opportunity to wean this child and to train him up in the way that he should go. And God's promise in the book of Proverbs is when that child is old, he'll not depart from it. Eighty years passed. Eighty years passed before Moses came back to Egypt. But he did. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Amazing, isn't it? And folks, I want to tell you something too. The medical experts, they tell us it's not just milk that flows through mother's breast. It's, it's physical immunities that pass through that mother's breast. It is emotional affection that passes through there. There's an attachment that just, it, 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 it's beyond all that we can comprehend. But I want to tell you, you know, we need to trust, trust our children with God. And we need to trust God and his word and raise our children accordingly and trust him for the out, outcome of that. Ah, sometimes it's hard to trust God. But what else can we do? What else can we do? Now we've got to go back to the Nile River. And we've got to go back to Pharaoh for a few moments. And I've got to tell you, here's where the story becomes a little unpleasant. You see, Pharaoh believed that Egypt's future rested in killing babies. Does that sound familiar? Listen, the Egyptians, they were, they were pagans. They were idolaters. They worshipped everything under the sun, and they worshipped the sun too. They worshipped bulls, and they worshipped uh, beetles. They worshipped crocodiles. They worshipped cobras and cats, and everything that you can imagine. They even worshipped the Nile River. And throwing these Hebrew babies into the Nile River amounts to offering sacrifices to their gods. 
God had made Abraham a promise long before Israel ever got to Egypt. He promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand by the seashore. And God was keeping his promise to Abraham so much so that Pharaoh was scared to death that, that uh, Israel was multiplying in leaps and bounds that sooner or later they were going to outnumber the Egyptians. And the only way to fix this was to kill those babies. That was his plan. And 80 years would pass before God would visit his wrath upon those people for what they were doing to his little children. Pestilence. You know what pestilence is? Pestilence is not just medical illness, disease. Pestilence is any kind of troublesome event. And I want to tell you, God visited pestilence after pestilence after pestilence on the Egyptians until finally God had all the, the, the firstborn in Egypt killed. And I find it amazing that the very beginning of the pestilence in Egypt was God turned the Nile River into blood. They were throwing these babies in the river. God only knows that they drowned. God only knows too that that river was filled with those crocodiles that they worshipped. And they worshipped the Nile. And how often had the waters of the Nile River been turned into blood when they threw those children in there? And 80 years later, make no mistake about it, God said, thus saith the Lord, vengeance is mine. Amen. I will repay, saith the Lord. And while the Egyptians were killing the infant children, God visited his wrath upon the elderly and his pestilence that fell in that time. 415 times, I think, in Scripture, folks, we hear this expression, thus saith the Lord. And when God called Moses out of, uh, out of uh, Midian to come back to Egypt, he said, I want you to stand before Pharaoh and tell him, thus saith the Lord. You've heard me say this before. When we read our King James Bible, our English versions of the Bible, almost all of them say, thus saith the Lord. But what's really there in the Hebrew text is thus saith Jehovah. And Moses stood before Pharaoh and he said, thus saith Jehovah. And Pharaoh responded by saying, who is Jehovah that I should obey his voice? You see, he believed himself to be a God. God was about to show him who was God and who was in charge. Do you know in Psalm 33 and verse 11, Psalm 9 and verse 17, I don't think there's any other two verses more relevant to these United States of America than these two verses. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Psalm 33 and verse 12. But Psalm 9 and verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. Folks, listen, there's not a place on this planet where the grandeur of the ancient world is any more visible than it is in Egypt. We were planning to go to the Holy Land this year. Didn't work out because of coronavirus. God had other plans. But I was really looking forward to going to Egypt as one of our side trips. And standing there and looking at the amazing architecture of those Egyptians and what they did. But do you know that God turned that land into a living hell? If you read what God did in that time period before Pharaoh finally let Israel go, their land was almost completely destroyed. And folks, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but in 1973, these United States of America, by a Supreme Court edict, adopted Roe v. Wade. And since that time, more than 60 million little ones, God's little ones, have been killed. Do you realize that there's nearly 200 nations on this planet right now? And of those 200 nations, there's only a handful of them that, that, that do not allow abortion. And if there are 60 million abortions, 60 million plus in this country alone, imagine how many babies across this planet have been destroyed since this evil practice has been adopted. As you can see in Scripture, we're not the first generation to kill the human race's innocent. No, no, it's been going on. But we are the first generation to legalize it. And you can call what's going on in our world now whatever you'd like. Global warming, climate change, you know, the terrible tornadoes, the horrific hurricanes, the floods, the fires, the violence in our streets, the political chaos that is in this time. Call it whatever you want. I believe God's visiting His wrath on this generation the same way He did on the Egyptians. Amen. I wonder how long... God is going to put up with it. I wonder how much worse it's going to have to get before a people wakes up and comes to its senses. Well, we've gone down that road quite far enough, I can tell by the look on your faces. But let me close here with, with, with this. 415 times in Scripture we, we hear this expression, Thus saith the Lord. From Genesis all the way to the last amen in the book of Revelation. All of these words are what thus saith the Lord. They are God's words, folks. They're not words that men imagine that God would, would have us to go by. These are God's words. And God's word says this, thus saith the Lord. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, man's first command was be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. How? By making babies. By making my little children. God wanted this world to be filled with my little children. Psalm 127 says, Lo, children are the heritage of the Lord, the gift of God, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Psalm 134, children are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every last one of you, you know, regardless of your status, where you come from, what color your skin is, uh, what station you hold in this life, Every one of us are God's little children. Luke verse 18 says, Suffer those little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 8 and 10, 18 and 10 says, Their angels, listen to this, their angels do always behold the face of God. What does that mean? It means that there are, are, are likely guardian angels watching over these little children that the Lord loves with all of his heart and desires to be a part of his kingdom in heaven. Matthew 18, whoso offends one of these little ones, it were better that a millstone be hanged about his neck and he drown in the depth of the sea. And I should think, Mark, Mark 14 and verse 21, uh, that says, better that such a man had not been born than that he harm one of these little ones. Jesus tells us in his own words, all manner of sin. Think about this. This is again how great God's amazing grace is. All manner of sin can be forgiven. All manner of sin can be forgiven. Even blasphemy can be forgiven. Taking God's name in vain Blaspheming God can be forgiven. The, the greatest sin, the most heinous of sins you can think of can be forgiven. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is love and His grace is amazing. His mercy endures forever. And lost friend, you can be saved right now. Right here, right in this very place, right now in this very circumstance, as bad and as crazy as this world is, you can be saved if you will reach out and, and, and trust in the Lord. You can be saved today. Hallelujah, you can. Amen. I was reading last night about the great awakening that took place before the Revolutionary War. I was reading last night about the great awakening that took place before the American Civil War. I was reading last night about the prayer revival that swept this nation. And I mean transformed a whole nation for God. Where businesses closed down on Wednesday. Businesses all across this country closed down on Wednesday between 11 o'clock and 2 o'clock so people could meet for prayer. Can you imagine can you imagine Walmart shutting down so God's people could, could pray? Or Macy's or Dillard's or, or whatever. Can you imagine that? But they did. And you know why they did? Because a handful of God's people met together to pray in earnest. 
and reached the horns of God's altar. And God heard that prayer and he granted this nation, not just this nation, but nations all the way across the Atlantic, he granted them revival. I'm praying, folks, that there's revival in the future of our world, even now. But it's going to take God's people getting serious Amen. about reaching God. And lost friend, if you ever get saved, it'll be just like Jesus said. You'll have to become like a little child and humble yourself before God and from your heart ask Him to save your soul. That's how it happened for me. That's how it happened for me. It wasn't easy, but I'll tell you what, I got under such a great burden, I had to let go, and I had to get in touch with God. And he heard my simple little prayer, Oh God, save me. And he did. And I'm telling you, there was peace like you had never imagined in your life. My little children, you know Christ is coming? Do you know Christ is coming? And do you know who's coming with Him? The Bible says ten thousands of His saints. Angels. Ten thousand times ten thousands and thousands of thousands. And ten thousands of His saints. And it goes on to say that a number which no man can number. You know why that number is so large? Because of all those babies all those little children that have been killed, they're going to come back with Him because they are God's little children. And yes, hallelujah, I'm going to be in that number. Amen. I'm going to be in that number. Amen. If I happen to be living when He comes, I'm going to be changed and I'm still going to be in that number. Yep. What about you? Amen. What about you? Do you want to be in that number? It takes faith. It takes faith. And you reaching out to God by faith. He's reaching out to you. Adam, come on, I'm going to wait for you. I said he started without me here a week or two ago. I'm going to wait for you, Adam. Lead us in a song. Lost friend, as mean as people can get. And I was only kidding when I said Wanda was mean. As mean as people can get, mean people can be saved. Right. Wicked people can be saved. But I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good you've been. As good as you are, as good as you can be, you still need to be saved. And there's no better time or no better place than right here, right now, to give your heart and life to God. While we stand together and sing, while we stand together and sing, Jesus said, suffer little children to come unto me. And little children, no matter how old you are, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus right now.